Go out, seek a mentor, spend some money on your education, invest in yourself. You don't want to make the $172,000 mistake. If I had a mentor, I probably would have had that money in the bank still because I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done a deal. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. All righty, episode 152. Welcome back to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast here with Jace. Jace, what's going on? How are you? Not a lot. How you doing? Good, good. Doing well. Everything going on on our end. Fall is approaching, right? Weather's cooling down all over. We talked about football last time. There's more games starting to be canceled. We'll see what's going on, but pretty interesting. Yeah, there's all sorts of crazy things. You know, we uh, I think we're going to open up a little bit more in Texas. Cases have been going down. So we'll see. It's going to be, you know, we got a political election here coming up. It's going to be an interesting uh, fall season for sure. Yeah, and interesting too, right? Because just just the news just broke that Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. Yep. So yep. Th- that's going to have a play in in the election too. So yeah, I mean, twenty twenty, what a year, right? <laughs> no kidding, man. <laughs> what, what, a year. what a year with everything going on. Even without COVID, it's been quite the year, right? Yep. Yep. So pretty, pretty interesting. You know, one thing we were chatting about, and and one thing we've asked millionaires more often on our show is thirty year versus fifteen year mortgages. And I, I think you and I can both say, as we've interviewed all these millionaires, that's one of the things that has really stood out to us, right? Is there, there'll be people with a net worth of three, four, five, six, seven, ten million dollars that still have a primary mortgage on their home, right? Yep. And I, that's, that stood out to me, right? Because I thought, I think, and I could be mistaken, but I think in the millionaire next door, they talk about paying off the mortgage, right? And of course, Dave Ramsey does. But I've been surprised that. What do you think? 75, 80% of the millionaires that we've interviewed are okay with keeping, maybe maybe less than that, maybe 60% are, are okay with keeping a primary mortgage if it has a low interest rate. Yeah, no, it is it is surprisingly quite a few, more than I would have ever thought when we first started this podcast. And, you know, it begs the question, which one's better? Why would you do one versus the other? And there, there's a one millionaire, Stephen Adcock, wrote an article and he said, do a 30-year mainly because of the flexibility. Rates are close enough. Obviously, you'll save some interest in the long term if you do 15-year, but he he says, do 30, give yourself some flexibility. You know, personally, I've done both. I've got mortgages out there that are 30. I've got some that are 15, you know, so I I don't know what the answer really is. I, I have a preference. Depends on what the rate environment is and what, what the purpose of that property or what that mortgage is going to be used for uh, in, in my own you know, personal life, but it begs a question, you know, for our listeners to be interesting. I don't know if we could create a poll with most of them, but just to see across the board, if, if what we're finding in our millionaires is pretty consistent amongst people who are non millionaires or even some of our listeners that, that are millionaires too, what that breakout is. Yeah, it's been interesting for sure. And I think something we're willing to die where we want to dive more into, right. Is, Hey, 15 versus 30 year and why, What's driving that? And and for those that have refinanced or taken out a HELOC home equity line of credit, right? What's the reasoning behind that? So pretty interesting. I think we got into that a little bit with last week's guest, if I remember correctly. That was Doc G. He had a net worth of over seven. We had him previously on the show about a, a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago, I think, right? So yep. it was fun to touch base with him again. He had grown his net worth about a million bucks and and I thought the most interesting piece or one of the most interesting pieces about that interview was he had a net worth of 7.5 currently. 
he mentioned he was making close to a million dollars a year, I think eight fifty nine hundred, and just asking him, hey, when was the right time to walk away, right? When is enough enough for you? And I mean, at, at that amount of money, you, you start looking at it and you say, gosh, if I work one more year, that's another 500 grand, yeah. right? Yeah. So I, I thought that was an interesting piece of the interview. And he just said, look, when you when you win the game, there's not really more you can do, right? Like yeah, there's no enough overtime. Plus ten, enough plus 10 doesn't really get me anywhere. Yeah. So that's one thing that stood out to me on last week's interview. This week, we have a, a fun interview with Gino. He's a, a guest interview, real estate investor. And, and again, we'd just like to highlight some guests, whether it's about real estate or the stock market or money and marriage, a variety of episodes just to, to bring a unique take and a unique perspective to the show. So a fun interview today with Gino. If you enjoy the show, we invite you and, and would like you to please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Whatever platform you listen to, it helps it grow the show. We got one this week from Shenandoah Valley. It says, I am really enjoying the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. Great to hear so many unique perspectives and paths to wealth. This is the first podcast I listen to every Monday when it drops. So thanks to Shenandoah Valley for that. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, send us an email. Or if you'd like to be on the show, always welcome new millionaire guests or those who are close to a millionaire. Our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail. Dot com. So thanks so much for listening to the show. Hope everybody is staying safe and healthy. And without any further delay, please help me welcome Gino to the show. Gino, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're up to now? Good morning, Jace. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I started out in the restaurant business, getting out of college. Couldn't get a job back then, a long time ago. And I loved it. I was working with the family actually working with dad every day and my brother and we didn't kill each other for about 20 years we had, we had a good run up until 2008 and 2008 the great recession came and it feels eerily similar right now it seems like everything stopped back then no business banks were seized up didn't know what to do i said i've got six kids i gotta figure something out gotta make some money somewhere so i, I just said to myself See passive income. And I started looking in real estate. And, you know, the first couple of ventures I went into, I bought a mobile home park. Big mistake. I got into a uh, mixed-use property up in upstate New York, up in Dutchess County. Big mistake. And then it just landed on I said, I, let me look at multifamily. I don't want to fix and flip. I don't want another job. And I got into multifamily, and I just started coaching. I started, went out and seek the mentor, found the mentor. And luckily for me, um, in 2011, I uh, met Jake. And Jake is my, you know, was, was a pharmaceutical rep. He was getting catering out of my restaurant. He knew my brother really well. And I had a couple conversations with him, but in, in 11, he's like, I'm moving down to Knoxville. I'm like, Knoxville, what, what's Knoxville? Where's Knoxville? And, you know, we we're talking about New Yorkers. <laughs> New Yorkers don't know anything out of the tri-state area, right? So I'm like, okay, go to Knoxville. And, you know, we whipped out the, the computer and I'm looking at these deals, you know, in LoopNet. Back then, deals were trading for 30 a door. I'm like, wow, this looks really interesting. I said, Jake, when you get down there, let's start looking at multifamily. And, you know, he got down there, went by himself. His future wife was up in New York for another six months, so he was lonely. So we're looking at deals. And it took us about 18 months to find that first deal. But back in February of 13, we bought that first 25-unit deal together. And then after that, three months later, we bought a 36-unit. And then six months after that, we bought 136 units. So for us, you know, it took us a long time to get that first deal. But then after that, eerily similar to what's going on right now. Back then, there was a lot of deals out there, but there was no money. And it's it seems like it's flipped that way now, where the brokers would really work with you. There was actually listings with deals. It's just the sentiment back then, you know, consumer, consumer sentiment was terrible. You had 1% GDP growth. There was no rent growth at all. It was just, it was, it was just a slow time. And we just started buying at the right time. 
That's awesome. I want to get into to what you're doing now, but you said you bought a mobile home park and that was a mistake. Why was that a mistake? Well, it's it's funny, Jace. The mobile home park wasn't a mistake. I was the mistake. I, I got into it because, you know, when you have a little extra money and I always tell people a person with money meets a person with experience and the person with the experience gets the money and the person with the money gets the experience. And that really happened to me because I had no idea about the space. All I knew is I had a few extra bucks in the bank and I'm like, you know what? Everyone says, you know, invest for passive income. And, and that's what I did. I had a friend who put me on to somebody else and said he was buying mobile home parks in Florida. And I knew nothing about the space. I didn't even do due diligence at all. I didn't fly down to see the property. I took his numbers at, at his word. He basically created a syndication. I didn't know what a syndication was back in 2005, 2006. And it was just a good deal for six months. And then after that, you know, the wheels fell off off the deal. But it was totally my fault. I didn't know what due diligence was. I didn't know how to analyze a deal. I didn't know what a cap rate was. I didn't know anything. And if I had to do it all over again, I would have said to myself, let me fly down there. Let me take a little bit more control. Let me do my due diligence. And, you know, let me get more educated on the space. And uh, unfortunately, after six months, that deal just went bye-bye. And it was painful for a couple of years. And it was a, for me, it was a great learning experience. And that's when I think I ultimately said to myself, you have to be responsible for your own actions. I could blame that guy every day of the week. It's not going to change the fact that I got into a bad deal and I didn't know what I was doing. So did you end up losing all of your capital investment in that deal? $172,000. I sure did. Oh painful. my gosh. That's painful. Very painful. Very painful. You know what? So when I, when I tell people, go out, seek a mentor, spend some money on your education, invest in yourself. You don't want to make the $172,000 mistake. If I had a mentor, I probably would have had that money in the bank still because I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done a deal. So. Wow. That's crazy. So was that the first investment that you went after? Did you invest any money in the stock market or other ventures before that? You know, I had always been active in the stock market. I, when I got out of college in the 90s, you know, value line was there. It was a different time to invest in the market. Now, it seems like in the last 10, 15 years, you can, you know, there's a swing of a thousand points in two days. You can lose 10% in two days. Back then, stock market was slower. There was less information out there, less algorithmic trading. So for me, it was more, it was more fun. I had a fourplex also. So I had bought a fourplex previous to that. And with this, it felt like it was easy money. And you know, Jace, when you think it's easy money, it's never easy money. All right. So the fourplex and then this was the first kind of real estate that you bought. Maybe you had a single family home or your your primary residence rather. Primary residence. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. And so you you and Jay could just maybe save, I mean, tell me if it's accurate, just save money. And that's how you were able to buy these first few deals. Is that right? Yep. No, the first deal we had 10% order financing. So oh, nice. uh, the, the bank that was holding the mortgage on the property when we bought it were, you know, they said, Hey, you know what? We can, we can, you know, allow you to hold 10%. The sellers can hold 10% as part of the down payment. So it was a $600,000 deal, 25 units. So we need to, we needed to come up with around $80,000 in cash to close the deal. So it was me, Jake, and my brother, Mark, all three of us are partners. The second deal, I actually brought on my current partner, uh, Mike, and it was four of us on our second deal. It was a 36-unit, $850,000 deal. And then the third deal, it was me, Jake, and Mike. Mike had a strong balance sheet. So, you know, in multifamily, it's a team sport. Mike had the stronger balance sheet, got money wherever we could, whether it was a 401k, whether it was our home equity lines of credit. And after that, it took us about 18 months after that third deal where we were able to refinance and uh, pull, pull a ton of equity out of all three of the first deals we did. So from that, that's how we kept repurposing our capital, putting it into the next deal and putting it into the next deal. 
So this first deal, let's talk about that a little bit, because like you said, I think the first deal takes the longest and is the hardest, right? And then it kind of yes. snowballs from there, and that seems to be what happened with you guys. So mm-hmm. was was this one in Knoxville, the $600,000? It was. Yeah, all, uh, the first 1,000 units of our portfolio were all in Knoxville market, some, oh, wow. in East, some in East Tennessee. What happened with us was we just started managing our own deals. Um, Jake was, you know, had that pharmaceutical rep job. He was a sales, sales guy, so he had the flexibility to go and manage the property. We had resident managers on that first deal and the second deal, but we, we wanted to manage. We wanted to learn how to self-manage our own property and we just continued to manage our own stuff. So but we're basically vertically integrated. And for us, it was a great learning experience. You know, he, I, he got his paid his 10% management fee for the first couple of deals. It allowed him along with cost segregation to get out of and quit his job within, you know, 18 months of buying that first deal. And, and the great thing about the first deal was it was a mom and pop, like the, all of our deals. It was just a distressed seller. They wanted to sell. They were weekly renters in there. Their expenses were out of control. They were just, you know, renting to anybody. A lot of deferred maintenance on there. And, you know, the first deal is always the toughest because you have no systems yourself. You have no team. So we went in there without a contractor. We went in there, you know, basically with an inspector the last, last mm-hmm. week, a week we got. And it was tough because it was it was something different. And, you know, the tenants were a little bit uh how can I say they they were rough? I mean, they're weekly renters. I mean, we got sued like the first three months by a tenant who, you know, it was his own furniture and he was suing us because of bed bugs. I'm like, how can somebody sue us because of bed bugs because of their own mattress? So it was just a complete learning experience. The first six months, somebody passed away in one of the units. It was, it was really a, a tough learning experience. And the hardest thing about that was just retenanting the whole property from weekly renters to monthly. And once we did that, the property stabilized. We had much better tenants. We had much better cash flow. The the mail lady actually said, "You know what, guys? It's it's really nice to deliver mail to this property again because it was it was it was a rougher property, but it was only twenty five units. And you know, everyone's always telling you you got to go big on your first deal. You got to go big. And for us, thank God we only bought twenty five units because the septic fields failed, like I said, and then the lady passing away in the property and collecting the rents. And it was a really great learning experience for us. Where the second deal was thirty six units." And then the third deal was 136. So I always tell people, it's not how big you start. It's just start, get the experience, see if you like it, learn the systems, and then you can start scaling up. Yeah, good stuff. How did you find it? The first the first two deals, the first deal was on LoopNet, believe it or not. It was sitting there for a couple of years. And I think that's what's going to start happening now in this cycle. You're going to start seeing deals being deposited on CoStar and LoopNet sitting there for a while. And this deal had been sitting there for, I mean, a couple of years. They were asking 750000 And we put in an offer at six hundred. We probably We probably could have gotten it for five fifty, but, you know, you're, when you're first starting out, you have no idea how to negotiate these deals. So we got it through that. And the best thing about it was we found the broker. That broker on that first deal has been a broker for, uh, you know, I'd probably say seven to 800 units. And he just, wow. he, was great, he was a great resource. He was an excellent guy. He'd been doing real, you know, you do what you say and you say what you do. You close the deals, you call them back, you underwrite the deals, you put in fair offers and you create a great relationship with the broker and they will make you rich. I mean, it's still pretty amazing, right? It's 20% off the asking if you got yep. it for 600 from 750. And that's what it was. And back then, you know, on, on the third deal, it was a 136 unit deal and it was, you know, listed at 6.3 million. Same thing. You had a mom and pop. He was a doctor. His wife was managing the property. 
we ended up buying that property for 4.075 million. So, I mean, that's 2 million three off the asking price. And I always tell people this, the last couple of years has been difficult, but if you can substantiate your underwriting with actuals, and we're going back to that time where we're going to actually be buying property on actual numbers. It's amazing. We're, we're, we're coming back full circle. I think the market is coming back to that where you can put in fair offers based on actuals, based on actual cap rates and, and actual income and expenses you can show your underwriting and you can put 10 or 15 or 20% below asking because I think a lot of these brokers were just overshooting. And you know what? There's so much capital in the market. Cap rates were compressing that where people were willing to overpay and people were writing down, you know, 5% rent increases, 1% X expenses. And they were just, you know, buying on what's going to happen two years from now. So I think we're coming back to that point where actuals are going to make a big difference. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Do you think we're headed in just for our guests who are recording this mid-April? Because, you know, even in Knoxville, I just looked at, I just went on LoopNet and found like, I think it was just a 12 unit or something, but it was like, like a four cap. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is crazy, right? You're buying in New York at almost now than a four cap. And, and you're asking for this little 12 plex that's way outside of the city for mm-hmm. like, it, it, you know, it makes it, the numbers didn't make sense, but you think that's kind of the, the way it's trending. Well, Jace, you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen with the financing. The financing piece is going to be very big. We started out buying with community banks and back, you know, 13, 14, 15, there was no Freddie SBL. The agencies were, were, were there, but they weren't as prevalent as they are now. And I loved community banks. They're easy to work with. You know, basically they're much, they're, they're just, you go walk in there, you talk to the decision maker. Our LTVs at the time were 80% LTVs. Now, you know, the last couple of deals we've done with communities, they can go up to 85% LTV. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. very flexible. I mean, they, they have 25-year AMs as opposed to the 30-year AM. They won't give you as much interest only. But we use them as almost like a bridge, you know, and, and we have no prepayment penalties. So we'll hold these deals for 18 months, possibly two years, and then refi them into agency. So I think there's a big component right there because I think the agencies right now want 12 months of PITI. So that's going to really kill the deal for a lot of syndicates. And that's why those four caps, that, that four cap will never trade at a four cap in Knox right now. If it's a C asset, I'm saying it's at least going to go to a six, if not a seven cap right now. The next, Yeah, it's got to. It might even be like a C minus. Yeah. So you're talking seven cap every day of the week right now because there, there's demand. But, you know, and that kind of asset, you need a community. There's there's that and that's and that size. You're also looking at owner financing. Owner financing is going to come back roaring in the next six to 12 months because a lot of these owners have a ton of equity. You can't get the financing. So I I think a lot of people are going to be willing to take paper on a lot of their deals. Hmm, interesting. So the six hundred, the eight hundred and fifty thousand dollar unit, and then the hundred and thirty six was four point something, right? You said. Mm-hmm. Yep. Where did you guys get the money to buy that one? So that one right there, our partner Mike was able to lend us five hundred thousand uh, dollars for part of the down payment. We needed fifteen percent down. Uh, remember the community bank, Mike lent us 500 grand. We paid him 5% note from the property. When we bought the property, it was 80% occupied. They were using, you know, five of the units as storage sheds. So there's so much upside. They're renting for 450 a month for two beds. We got them up to 595 on the first go around. They were right down the street from a manufacturing wow. plant. So there was so much upside on it. They were, they were running them so inefficiently. And they were, I mean, basically expenses that were running at over 4,000 a door. We got them down to about 33, 3,400 a unit. So we were able to cut the expenses 
Um, and Jake, what we did with that one, we were creative with Jake. He didn't have the, he didn't have the capital. We gave him a 2% acquisition fee. So he rolled his act fee into the deal because basically he was the boots on the ground. He was going to the banker. He was talking to the broker. He was negotiating. He was doing all the work. So for Mike and myself, you know, we wanted him part of the deal. So he was able to get 20% equity for me. Like I said, home equity line of credit. I, I pulled it out. I remember buying, you know, pulling the money out and it actually was past the 10 year term. So it, it for me, for a few months, it went to principal and interest and it was killing me, but I was able to hold on, wait a few more months. And then we re- refired this property. We, I was able to pull, uh, pull that money out and pay my, my line of credit off. You know, Mike, mm-hmm. uh, was, was gracious enough, like I said, to lend us the 500 grand because he saw the value in the deal. So when we refinanced the deal, we paid off his note. And there was a point in this deal where we were like $50,000 apart and my partner, Mike, did not want to go down anymore. And, you know, looking back, it probably would have been the stupidest thing I ever did did in my life. But I said to Jake, we need to do something. We don't have 50 grand. And uh, we went to the broker. Like I said, we had a great relationship. We we said, you know, Rick, would you mind taking a $50,000 second note for your part of your commissions? And Rick's like, yeah, sure. Why not? So we ended up doing a $50,000 second. We were paying him like three or $400 a month on that note. And when we refied it, we just paid that note off also. So when you are out there and you're trying to make it happen, become as creative as possible. You know, Jake goes to his grandparents, gets gets a loan from his grandparents. He blows up his 401k, whatever it takes to get that deal done. And this was, you know, this is a, a, a monumental, I guess, life-changing deal. This deal actually spawned Jake and Gino. And we're able, I mean, at the end of the day with this deal, we've been able to refi almost $4 million out of this deal. So, I mean, it's one of those deals where you see it. Wow have to do whatever you can. And it's one of the differences, I think, between being an entrepreneur and being a, you know, a W-2 or transactional employee. The equity is what makes you rich in these deals. If you can get equity in these deals, an acquisition fee and focus on the equity, that's when it's going to separate you by just paying bills and by becoming wealthy. Were you nervous about, uh, this was all 2012, right? Or this was, 2000, this was 14. We actually now. did. We actually did the closing on February fourteenth, uh, which was uh, which was Valentine's Day. And if your question was it, was I nervous? I'm still nervous when I do deals. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying you still get that, you know, that nervous right. feeling, your stomach. You don't know if it's going to go right. You know what's going to happen. And that's why back then, if you just looked at the numbers and you, it made sense. I mean, listen, rents were so low, uh, expenses were out of whack. You know, the deal was so far below replacement costs. We were buying these at 30 a door and replacement, I don't know, right now is probably a hundred a door. So we we're buying them so far below replacement that it just made sense. And that's why, as we've seen these last couple of years with these deals going up and up and up, we we're only able to close on two deals last year back in, uh, back in 2019 with all that capital sitting out there. We were on the road, I would probably say 250 to 300 deals last year and nothing just made sense. That was making me nervous. When we found a deal that made sense, it's like, hold on a second. Is this deal good? Is it making sense? So for us back then, we were buying them so low and such a, you know, at such a low replacement cost that, you know, it was, there was less, a lot less downside risk in those deals. So th- this big one, was this on LoopNet as well, or did this come off market through that broker connection? It, this came, it was. It was on on LoopNet, but like I said, it was listed at six point three million. So nobody was making an offer. It was just sitting there to die. And uh, you know, he he had a great relationship with his doctor, and he wasn't a listing broker. I think a listing broker just threw it up there, but it was just sitting there to die. And that's one of those things where you don't have a great broker. You take it off, just take it off market and start shopping it around. And you know, my first offer to him was four point four million from six three. I actually offered four point four, and you can do that back then because that's what it was worth. It was worth around four million dollars 
the way they were running it. And back then with the financing, you had to buy it on actuals. So when we came in with that number, it was, it was, they came in and they appraised it at 4 million, right? What we paid for it. So I was a learning lesson to me. I mean, and my broker always says to me, Hey, no matter how low your offer is, it's the best one they've got all day. So that's the way I, that's the way I approached it. I showed him our underwriting and he didn't blink. He went from 6.3. I offered 3.7 and he came down to 4.4 million in one shot. He came down $2 million in one shot. And the reason, you know, Jace is he was motivated. He was a mom and pop. He had had this property for two to three years. He was in partnership with his brother. So I'm sure his brother was always, you know, complaining about his, his sister-in-law running the property, not managing it properly. And they just wanted it off their plate. They're doctors. They got into real estate with the idea that, hey, real estate is passive. You're going to make a ton of money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All know that's not the case. Wow. Because now w- when you see properties listed on LoopNet, everybody throws in their pro forma and tries to sell it off of that. Yep. And I, that's that's going to happen. But like I said, cap rates are going up and that's that it, we're going back to 13 and 14. We're going to go back to buying on actuals. You watch. And that's it's a good thing. And the other thing that I've seen, Jason, in the last couple of weeks is brokers are actually calling us back. Because they've got a lot of deals and they've got a lot of deals that have been pulled off the market. And, you know, that uncertainty, mm-hmm. that the fact that, like I said, that 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 deal and you've seen in Knoxville, it's going to sit there and it is going to die. And then one day, six months from now, that that seller is going to become so motivated that he's going to be like, you know what? What's the best you can do for me? And that's what's taking on the panel. I'll just I'll just take it. That's right. And that's what happened, you know, four or five years ago. That That's what was happening. And then as the economy started recovering, as jobs started, you know, coming down to Knoxville, as rent started pushing up, you know, we were, we were buying deals back then. One beds were $350 a month in rent. So you can imagine they were, they were trading at, you know, 25, 30 a door. Once rents started going from 350 a month for one beds to 450 to 550 to 600, your NOI is starting to explode. And obviously, you know, valuations go up. Right. So big picture here, Gina, you're living in New York. Jake's down there. I don't know where your other, your brother and this other partner were, but is it critical to have somebody with boots on the ground? Did you ever buy, did you, when you guys started buying out of state, I assume you started buying out of state. Did you just, is it, did you just hire a property management company or do you think it's critical to have somebody either in the city or, or in the location rather, or in close proximity? That great question, Jace. When I started actually buying, I started buying back in 2010 in Rochester, New York. So I wanted to buy for cash flow. One of my mentors said, you know what? Buy for cash flow. Find a market with cash flows. And that's what, that's what Knoxville did. I mean, I was buying duplexes at 50 a door. I was paying, um, you know, I was getting about $1,200 a month in rent, but these houses were old. There was no appreciation at all. The play there was hold them, cash flow them, get in section eight tenants. And you know what? Five years later, that $50,000 unit, home is going to be worth 50,000. So I started doing that and I hired a property management company and I actually had a great relationship with them. They did, they did a great job. I was going to continue to buy up there. It's just that the prospect for job growth in in New York was terrible. The taxes up there were so expensive and I couldn't scale up. So, you know, it really depends when you start out, you can go third party property management. You don't need to be in the market. My only thing I would say is I chose Jacksonville and I moved down to St. Augustine three years ago is because I wanted to expand the uh, the portfolio down here. But if I wasn't living in Jacksonville, you know, living in New York, getting on a plane in LaGuardia and flying to Jacksonville is an hour and a half. So you can live in close proximity and visit the market once a month, once a week, whenever you need to, as you start growing. 
I think, you know, hiring a property management company is key. Knowing what that, knowing how to hire the third party property management is one of the most important, you know, aspects of it. Cause we talk about buy right, manage right, and finance right. That's our three step proprietary framework. And, you know, if you execute the buy properly and you get great financing, they're done. The manage right is that wheel on the wheelbarrow that is in constant motion and you need to hire a third party. For us, I just felt comfortable saying, Jake, you're down there. You don't know what you're doing. I'll coach you. I'll train you. We'll learn through the process. And for us, we got comfortable that way, but you don't necessarily need to live in the market. We just, you know, that's what just happened to us. He just lived down there. And what Jake ultimately wanted to do was leave his job. That's what he wanted to do. And he thought that multifamily was the vehicle to do it. And that's why we chose to uh, live in the market that we invested in. Yeah. I want to talk about that in a second, but real quick, what do you typically look for in a property management company? Well, if you're going to be doing small units, 10, 15, 20 units, you don't want one of these regional companies that are just going to look at you and you're going to be a pain in the neck to them. You, you want to really focus on a company that is going to serve the asset that you're actually investing in. If you're in single family home, same thing. Look for a company that does residential. I think the second thing, and most importantly, is right now we're going to this, into this era of technology. If, you're, if your property management company does everything by paper, you can't use them. I mean, there's going to be virtual leasing going on. There is going to be, uh, you know, virtual tours going on. You want everything online. You want the, you know, the Gen Zs want actually to pull up their phone, pull a lease off their phone, be able to pay online. You want a company that's actually using technology. You want a company that's using software, property management software, whether it's, you know, RealPage, whether it's Buildium, Appfolio. And you want a company that's focused on customer service, the customer experience. And that's what we say. There's a blue ocean strategy, like Jake likes to say, in the apartment space, in the C space. They're so underutilized with customer service. You want them to be responsive. You want them to have systems to be able to actually manage and actually deliver that customer service to the tenant. And that's those are some of the keys. I mean, going into it, it's a tough business property management because everything's going great. And then all of a sudden you have an issue and they get they get beat on. Right now, it's really difficult right now to start collecting rent. You have to have systems and you have to have policies and procedures. Uh, and that's what you need to look for. What are their KPIs? What are their process to turn a unit? What is the process to onboard a tenant? All of these things you have to think about and look at what the management company is actually doing. Totally. So earlier you mentioned that the Jake really wanted to transition from his day job, going from sales to, to real estate mogul, and you went from restauranteur to mogul. Can you talk a little bit about that transition when you knew to take the the leap and become 100% invested in real estate? For me, it was a little bit different than Jake. He had, uh, I think he had one child at the time. And he did a lot quicker because he had the property management income coming in and he used cost segregation to basically wipe off that last year of taxes from his job, from his W-2. And he had that both he had owner draws and the residual coming in from property management. For me, I can document exactly the time frame so to give people an idea of it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to take you 12 months to do it. I started in 2011 with Jake. Like I said, our first deal was in February of 2013. In August of 2015, we, we bought an amazing deal. It was a 281-unit deal, $11 million owner finance deal. We put no money down. The owner held a 20% note. And I'm sitting at my restaurant. I remember you know, sitting in the shed, putting away all the catering tins and putting away the pizza containers and all. And I'm saying to myself, what am I doing here? I'm, I'm, I'm putting this deal together. And this has got the opportunity for me to actually get out of the restaurant. So I sat there and I said to myself, I need to make a decision. And, you know, most people would have quit all, all, all together. So I went to my brother in October of that year and I said, listen, I'm going to stop working at the restaurant during the week. 
I'm going to work real estate during the week and I'm going to work with you on the weekends. So from October of 2015 to March of 2016, I was working seven days a week. I wanted to make sure that the real estate worked. I wanted to make sure that I had enough cash flow coming in. I was living in New York. I had six kids. I had a lot of expenses. So I said, before I take that full plunge, let me go in like the 10% entrepreneur in that book, take a little bit, take a little small step. But for me, I was totally committed working like crazy. I had started the podcast. I had, we were writing the book assets. And, you know, like I said, it was a three-year period. And then at March of 2016, I said to my brother, I'm leaving the restaurant. Uh, you know, you don't have to pay me. Whenever you sell this place, you can give me whatever, whatever is left over between the two of us. And I left. And in, in that, in that 2016, I went down to Florida with my family. I spent a couple months down here to make sure that I wanted to move down to Florida because, I, like I said, we were going to expand the portfolio in Jacksonville. And I wasn't actually thinking, hey, you know what? I can start property managing some of these assets and make a property management fee. And six months later, we said, you know what? I'm moving down to Florida. So it was a good progression of, of, of about three to three years from when I bought my first property. And it's really basically, you have to have the mentality of you got to burn the ships. I mean, for me, that those baby steps of knowing that I could do it and then ultimately saying, you know what, I'm going to take the leap. Because Jason, at the end of the day, if it didn't work for me, I could always go back and buy another restaurant. I can always go back and work for somebody else. But I would have hated myself if I didn't take that opportunity just to try it. Totally. So now I kind of want to transition how did you make that leap going from buying those properties yourselves with, with mm -hmm. a couple partners to then kind of getting into the syndication game? It, it was very difficult. And it, it, it's a different mindset, right? A syndication for me is just a tool in the toolbox. I think owner financing is just a, a tool in the toolbox. Partnering, JVing, there are other tools in the toolboxes. And for us, when we look at a deal, uh, we've bought uh, deals, you know, we our first syndication was in November of 2018. And it was a smaller deal. Remember I said, you know, think big, but start small. It was, a, it was 132 units. It was a $6 million deal. And we were able to raise two and a half million dollars in, I like, you know, in 48 hours. But that progression of doing that, we had been doing live events. We had been building up our list. We had been talking about it. We actually had to hire somebody on board to help us with the, you know, investor relations because it's a, it's a totally different business syndication as opposed to buying deals yourself. When you're buying a deal yourself, if you don't cash flow for three months, Hey, Jake, you know what? We need to fix these septic fields. <clears throat> Let's not cash flow. Let's use the owner draws. You really can't do that in a syndication. And I think the exit strategy is a little bit different. With a syndication, you need to be crystal clear with your exit strategy. We talk about the three pillars in Jake and Gino of real estate. It's the market cycle. It's the debt. And it's the exit strategy. For Jake and myself, when we buy a deal, we can hold it long term. We can buy it and hold it forever, refi the thing out. But with a syndication, you you know, you have a, a totally fiduciary responsibility to your investors. You have to have a crystal clear plan of, you know what, we're gonna hold this thing for, for five years. If we can sell sooner, we will. If not, you have to have that plan and you have to really be completely transparent with your investors. You know, we're having monthly webinars with the investors, we're sending out newsletters, you know, during this during this crisis right now we're having you know on friday between two to four our head of investor relations is having an open q a with the investors so it's a totally different model and for us it was just easier to buy deals ourselves but at, and you just want to get into bigger deals so i think syndication allows you to get into bigger deals it allows you to diversify your portfolio because you have other investors and it allows you also to create that other stream of revenue where all of a sudden you've got a syndication company that's creating and you know collecting asset management fees acquisition fees 
And as a GP, you're putting money into the deal as a limited partner. So you also, you know, cash flowing from that perspective also. So I love the strategy. It's just normally when people start in, in, in multifamily the last few years, they started with syndication. We did the opposite. There is no right or wrong way. I just had that limiting belief of can I, you know, buy a deal and make money for investors? And that held me up for a few, you know, for a few years. But then once I figured out everyone else was doing it, I said, let me start partnering and let me start podcasting with syndicators who are doing it. Let me find out what the model's all about. And it took us a couple of years to learn. But after that, I, it's it's a great strategy to start scaling up and building your portfolio multifamily. Yeah, yeah, really good. I agree with all that. So just big picture here, Gino, is is it too late for someone to jump into multifamily? And, and I just say that because you wonder, I mean, obviously it's never too late, but with how much capital is out there and how many people are now into it, you know, 10 years ago, it wasn't as, as big as it is now, right? Now there's podcasts all about it. There's more websites, more blogs, people doing more deals. I mean, how, how does somebody get started here? That, that's another great question. I, I always tell people it's it's the right time when you're ready. I mean, you have to be totally committed, just like anything else. You have to avoid the shiny object syndrome, you know, which I had, you know, mobile home park, fourplex, strip mall. I mean, I was not focused on one asset. You, you have to expect to play the long game. You know, most people don't want to think about, I have to wait 18 months for a deal. I mean, that's actually pretty quick a lot of times because you have to put the capital together. You have to create the relationships. You have to select the market. I think now is a great time to get into it because I think the economy is going to go in the tank for the next six months to 12 months. You need to start creating those relationships with the brokers and you don't have to do it by yourself. You have to learn. It's education times action equals results. You need to get educated on the space. There's a lot to learn. It's not rocket science, but there is a lot to learn. And, you know, real estate is a relationship based business. And there's so many different aspects of multifamily, whether you're buying the deal, whether you're underwriting the deal, whether you're raising the capital, whether you're being boots on the ground, there's a place for everybody on the team. And for me, I always say to myself, it, it's the right time when you're ready. Back in 2013, I was ready. I was fed up with going to the restaurant. I was fed up with not making enough money. And I said to myself, what do I need to do? And it was just really, to me, all about the growth mindset of learning, getting in there, personal development books. I ended up going to life coaching school, which was <clears throat> one of the best things that I ever did because it was all about personal development. It was, it was all about what, you know, what I wanted in my life, about clarity. So I think right now, is a great time. I think you're going to have deals out there in the next six to 12 months. The financing is going to be a little bit difficult on sheets. Mm-hmm. As long as you can bring value to somebody and partner with somebody on a value for value based, you know, based relationship, you're going to be successful in this business. Yeah, really good stuff. So really appreciate it, Gino. Thanks for coming on. Where can people find you and, and get a hold of you? I know you guys have a book out as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, Jakeandgino.com. Go to jakeandgino.com forward slash honeybee. Uh, the honeybee is a book we just wrote. It's a business parable. Go on there. There's a few uh, videos on the book. We have some audio on there. We have our credibility book. If you guys want to download it and show and, you know, it'll show you our business plan and you guys can create your own. It's a great tool when you're first getting started. We have four podcasts. Just go to the Jake and Gino channel on iTunes. We have a, a podcast called the Multifamily Zone. My wife and myself do the show spousal relationships, communication. Then we have a show on uh, syndication called the RAND CRE. We have a Movers and Shakers podcast for our students you know, that are closing deals. And then we have the We Will Our Profits podcast. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on. That's Gino, over 1,500 units and about, or over, right? $100 million in multifamily assets. So thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank thanks, you. Steve. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. 
for more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.